The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. <coughs> it's almost supper time. They remember the day. We gotta get out of here. You go where? Even if you could get past the guards, the stumpers will pick you up again as soon as you hit the streets. I got some friends on the outside who can help us. You just don't get it, do you? You're not outside. So what are you gonna do, huh? Just gonna let them deport you? Look, you're an American too, man. Oh, this isn't my America. Not anymore. I'll just go where they send me and try to start over. They need this country to shake and the rest of they deserve it. On your feet, migrants. This number's 1201 to 1220. Let's go. It's time to move out. Deport time. Come on! Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, March 21st, 2019. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Paul McKeever. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion. It's not right wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Well, Paul, no sooner had we demonstrated on our most recent past broadcasts the power and influence that an individual can command thanks to the internet and social media than we got a powerful example of that very principle in action via the terrorist attack that occurred in Christchurch, New Zealand last week, Friday. Yes. And that's just one of the issues that we'll be talking about on the show today. Right. But not until we remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, our archive broadcasts, and of course, where we encourage you to offer your financial support and to share our messages, features, and broadcasts with as many people as possible. And that's a form of taking action that, again, speaks directly to our theme and topic today. And we got a very interesting comment that feeds right into this current issue, a posting that someone made to our um, YouTube page online, and he identified himself as Mr. T. Mm-hmm. Quote, I take this show for what it is. I do enjoy it and wish the creators and fellow listeners well. That said, Greg Johnson describes Dinesh D'Souza's book as one of the stupidest books he's ever read, telling me that Hitler and Marx were basically the same people whose political ideas had the same results and that sloganeering Dems are the real racist as a winning strategy is laughable. The very freedoms and individualism that made this country great are the same arguments being used for its destruction. I'm not sure what we need, but muh freedoms ain't it. We got those already and we're still staring into the abyss regardless. It's time to move on and adapt for survival at any cost, end quote. Now, I didn't know what to make of this comment at first. I wasn't even sure where it was coming from. And I had never heard of this guy named Greg Johnson, who he has cited as his source for calling Dinesh D'Souza stupid. So I did look it up and I wrote back to him, and you can see this posted on our YouTube page. Quote, For the record, your cited source, Greg Johnson, holds views diametrically opposed to those of Just Right. 
If even one of the ideas attributed to Johnson on Wikipedia is true, then it is self-evident that Johnson is both a racist and a fascist. His views sit squarely on the left, yet as we repeatedly remind our listeners, he's among the many others on the left who continue to be incorrectly associated with the right. This again is caused by a false association of fascism with the right side of the polarity. Moreover, the perspective expressed by D'Souza is perfectly consistent with our own views that we established and placed on the record long before we were aware of D'Souza and long before his own thesis was publicized. Calling D'Souza's book stupid is stupid in itself. It says nothing about why. Both in theory and in practice, we've spent many hours on this and other past broadcasts demonstrating how D'Souza's conclusions are right on the mark. Hitler and Marx were both on the left both tyrannical, both totalitarian, both statist, and the same in every essential relative to this discussion. Their ideologies do indeed lead to the same results, tyranny, an elimination of individual rights and freedom. And yes, the Democratic Party is and always was a party of racism. To point to the truth of this fact, both historically and theoretically, has nothing to do with sloganeering. It has to do simply with telling the truth. Finally, for humanity to adapt to survival, the philosophy of individual and freedom are essential. To suggest that this is just about my freedoms is to confess to an ignorance and contempt for both freedom and individualism. Sadly, many share this attitude. Thanks for the comment and for presenting us with a friendly opportunity to share our mutual disagreement with others, end quote. He sent me a, another response back and he wrote, I reread my comment after you responded and realized how snarky I sounded. That was not my intention, so for that I apologize. Although my opinions are still the same, I thank you for their response. <laughs> and I said, well, we'll take your comments for what they are. Right. And I don't know how this second response is any less snarky than the first, because it's not about attitude. It's about the ideas expressed, mm -hmm. and perhaps even some of the ideas not expressed in the defense of anything that he said. I mean, it's okay to have an opinion. Could you give us a little bit of a why? I'd like to know why you're saying these things. Right. Your advocacy to move on and adapt for survival at any cost is particularly disturbing. Like, move on? Move how? Blank out. Move to where? Blank out. For whose survival? Blank out. And at any cost? If the cost is greater than the benefit, then what purpose is, can be attached to that? Right. And it strikes me that this posted comment at this particular time seemed a little ominous. So given that the only hint of what ideas Mr. T is siding with, I checked out this Greg Johnson guy, right? The one he referred to. Right. And here's what I found. Uh, Greg Johnson is an American white nationalist, an advocate for a white ethnostate. He's a white supremacist, an anti-Semite, opposed to immigration, and a self-confessed transphobic. And, of course, he has written for the anti-Semitic far right, okay? And his views are the creation of an ethnically specific white ethnostates in which only white people would live. He's written a book called The New Right Versus the Old Right. Again, adjectives in front of the word right that are not necessary, so it's not right versus not right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And um, he said he's found that blacks don't find white civilization comfortable, though that doesn't certainly relate to any of the black people I have in my family personally. I don't know what a guy like this would think about me because i got so much interracial marriages going on in my immediate family. Yeah, it's you know? utter nonsense. Same in my family. <laughs> I mean, this is so screwed up, but... 
what does this all sound like? Doesn't this sound like the guy from New Zealand? Well, we'll get into that coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So coming up next here, Paul, is one of the earliest coverages of this event from the CBC News and National, talking about how this was more of a social media event than it was a shooting event, the way they were talking. And coming back on the other side, what I thought was a bit of a disappointment in terms of the spin that Ben Shapiro took on his Daily Wire. He, you know, he said, don't pay any attention to this terrorist. We shouldn't give him any attention. And I don't think that's the right approach to take. In either case, both of these audio bites are taken from their respective March 15th broadcasts. The attack began at least 30 minutes before the first bullet was fired, part of a carefully planned social media salvo, posting first these pictures on Twitter, announcing his intentions, then live streaming the carnage for 17 minutes until Facebook stopped it. And if the goal of the attack or any terrorist attack is to promote an ideology, it's clearly been successful in getting these ideas out into the public sphere. Since the attack, James Rubick has tracked an 1100% increase in terms used by the shooter on social media like white genocide. It's a disgusting theory. Uh, it has no basis in fact. But it looks like it works. Uh, it's cert they're certainly getting their ideas out there. Facebook is pulling copies of the attacker's video and says it's removing messages that support the crime. But there's still plenty out there. Just look at the Facebook groups for Yellow Vest Canada and Canadians First Movement just after the attack. I watched the video. I've seen worse. Hundreds more like this. Hard to feel sorry when you look at how they have disrupted Western lifestyles. I have zero sympathy. They kill, rape, and dismember other humans. They got what was coming. Globally, there were thousands more like this and worse. I think right now what we're re really seeing in the Canadian context uh, in particular uh, is a, a coalescence around uh, anti-immigrant fervor and Islamophobic uh, fervor. To pretend this doesn't exist in Canada, says Barbara Perry, is to be naive. She argues after the attacks in New Zealand, Quebec City, Pittsburgh and more, social media companies must do better at restricting hate speech online. And she says it's time law enforcement deal with dangerous online incitement as fervently for the far right as they have for violent Islamic extremists. There is plenty of language uh, online that does cross legal thresholds, regard almost regardless of what the jurisdiction is uh, around incitement to violence, incitement to hatred, incitement to, uh, to genocide, uh, and yet they remain up. But there is just so much out there, and those who know how to maximize their message are doing so. It just happened. David Common, CBC News, Toronto. A gunman streamed a live video of the attack on Facebook. He appeared to have posted a manifesto online. We have a rule at Daily Wire. This was established about a year and a half ago, two years ago, saying that we will not name any mass shooter, we will not name terrorists, we will not name the people who, who murder innocents in the name of their politics. We're not going to do that. We're also not going to read the terrorist manifesto today. We're not going to give credence to his thoughts. We will mention his politics only to the extent that it is necessary to discuss the overarching political issues that affect the world and affect our nation. But we are not going to quote his manifesto. We are not going to go out of our way to, to lend any sort of support or credence to not only his manifesto, but to the notion that his manifesto should be used as a guidebook for others. What these folks want, what evil terrorists want, 
is attention. That's why they commit terrorist attacks. That's why this guy live streamed a video of his attack on Facebook. And it shows you that in our two connected world, we've got a real problem. Because if you are seeking fame, if you are seeking notoriety, then you, all you have to do is commit an act of evil with a camera in your hand. And we've seen this over and over and over again now. Well, there were some of the earliest accounts of the, of the massacre that occurred in New Zealand. And CBC News was talking about this being a part of a carefully planned social media salvo. And of course, live streamed until Facebook stopped it. And they're still busy trying to censor this thing and prevent it from being shared by people. And they yeah, you know, I think, you know what I think like, they mean by social media phenomenon is that unlike in the past, where you had, for example, the Unabomber who said, look, I'll surrender, but first you have to read my manifesto out over the airwaves. I think what they're saying is on, on, at this point in time, somebody's going to carry out some kind of terrorist act like this, can, can distribute their manifesto the worldwide right. uh, beforehand, and, and so it's a different game. Exactly. And they don't like it, of course. I mean, I mean, there's good reasons to be concerned, but at the same time, if we don't know what's motivating these guys, it leaves it open to the media and, and other people to just fill in the blanks, and that's where the real problems begin. Right. And, of course, they're saying Facebook is pulling copies and removing messages that support the crime. I'm amazed there are any such messages, or are they just in interpreting a lot of messages that way? And then, of course, we had Barbara Perry, who's a, a, an anti-racist specialist, mm -hmm. and she was talking about how social media companies must do better at restricting hate speech online, and it's time law enforcement deal with dangerous online incitement, as fervently for the far right, there's the far right again, as they have with violent Islamic extremists. Ever notice there's no such thing as a far left, there's no such thing as a left leftist extremist? I've never oh, heard no, of no, one. that's... That's also known as uh, the speech of the angels. Yeah. <laughs> Consider who the New Zealand terrorist cited as his key influencer. If you're talking about dangerous online incitement that has to be policed against. Well, we're talking about Candace Owens in this case, who happens to be a black woman. And, you know, I can see this event being used by social media as a new reason to censor views on the right, even though everything done by the terrorist is based on thinking and philosophies of the left. And meanwhile, Ben Shapiro, he's talking about this rule he has that he won't name mass shooters or terrorists, won't read the terrorist manifesto, which I have read and which everyone should read because that is the secret to all of this. And, and he says what this guy wants is attention, which is not exactly right. That's not what the issue's about. Yeah. So what I was hearing from Ben Shapiro is that he's really not interested in looking into the thinking behind these mass murderers. He wants to dismiss them and look elsewhere when, in fact, it's precisely these kinds of people and events that lie at the core of everyone's fears when it comes to politics. And I don't know why we always recoil from them instead of getting right into their psyche, figure out what kind of ideas they express, see what it is that they do support, and watch out for those kinds of ideas when they're in conjunction with certain influences that look like they could be trouble. I think everybody's looking completely in the wrong direction. Well, not only that, Bob, as I was saying, you know, I think uh, if, if everybody, and the media for, to a large extent does take the tack that uh, Ben Shapiro does, they don't tell you much information about what motivates almost any terrorist attack. But the problem when they do that is that it leaves it open uh, to the public, to the media, etc., just to speculate or just to BS about what the motives were. You know, in this case, there's a few things we know about the uh, killer who shot, I think it was at the tally now, was 50 people. I believe yeah. they were all Muslims. I believe they were all attending uh, mosque at the time. Uh, we know he's uh, anti-Muslim, clearly. 
Uh, we also know that he's anti-immigration. That's come across pretty clearly. But what we really don't know is anything about his political ideology, why he's doing what he's doing. We're just left to believe, based on media reports, that, well, he hates Muslims and so he shot some. Which is not at all the issue. So I thought rather than just have everyone ascribe their own particular pet theory to why this guy did what he did, it's time for a little uh, transparency here. Because what he did was motivated by a completely and utterly evil set of beliefs. So let's get at him. Um, you know, first of all, who is he? Well, at this point, we do know he's an Australian-born white man of European descent, he says. What does he want? And this is a quote. He says, to ensure the existence of our people and a future for white children whilst preserving and exalting nature in the natural order, unquote. Now, pay attention to that natural bit, because that's going to come in a lot more as we go on. What does that dream world that he's talking about require? Well, he says he wants a cap on the world's population, in effect. Uh, and he says that there's uh, an increase in white birth rates is absolutely necessary. In fact, the first three sentences in his uh, manifesto are something to the effect of, it's the birth rates, it's the birth rates, it's the birth rates. And he wants a green environmental policy to protect and preserve a, quote, green, unquote, nation of the, quote, ideals and beliefs, unquote, of a white culture. So here's some quotes that really put it in clear perspective. Quote, green nationalism is the only true nationalism. There is no nationalism without environmentalism. The natural environment of our lands shaped us just as we shaped it. We were born from our lands and our own culture was molded by these same lands. The protection and preservation of these lands is of the same importance as the protection and preservation of our own ideals and beliefs. And he continues, there is no green future with never-ending population growth. So here we have population growth, Bob. He's a Malthusian. Yep. He says, the ideal green world cannot exist in a world of 100 billion, 50 billion, or even 10 billion people. You know, these, guys are all, these guys are all on the fixed pie theory. Like everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, the, they have never you know, even opened up a history book or looked at the at, at how things have been invented in this world, or that there's farming now and there never used to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He continues, continued immigration into Europe is environmental warfare and ultimately destructive to nature itself. Unquote. And then he poses himself the following question and he answers it. He says, quote, "Why focus on immigration and birth rates when climate change is such a huge issue?" And he answers, because they're the same issue. The environment is being destroyed by overpopulation. We Europeans are one of the groups that are not overpopulating the world. The invaders are the ones overpopulating the world. Kill the invaders, kill the overpopulation, and by doing so, save the environment, unquote. That's some pretty scary crap, Bob. Sure is. But it keeps going. What does he call his political orientation? Quote, eco-fascism, unquote. He writes... Quote, I am an ethno-nationalist, eco-fascist, ethnic autonomy for all peoples with a focus on the preservation of nature and the natural order, unquote. Now you see that phrase in there, ethnic autonomy? What he means is segregation. He wants everybody segregated into their own countries according to their appearances, their genetic appearances. And that's where a lot of people are getting it wrong. They think he's a supremacist, that he wants to rule over these people. No, he doesn't want them around. Right. He wants, he wants to be everybody separated from he's just, away. He's just like the Democrats used to be. You know Exactly right. Then he says, um, uh, what does he see as the reason we don't already have a quote-unquote white nation? He says, low birth rates among white people. 
And he writes, quote, If there's one thing I want you to remember from these writings, it's that the birth rates must change. If we were to deport all non-Europeans from our lands tomorrow, the European people would still be spiraling into decay and eventual death. Every day we become fewer in number. We grow older. We grow weaker. In the end, we must return to replacement fertility levels or it will kill us, unquote. So then he says he's got this thing against individualism because he says that's why we have low birth rates. He says, quote, we've descended into a culture of hedonistic, nihilistic individualism, unquote. So he's an anti-individualist. Quote, broken families, soaring divorce rates, suicide rates climbing year by year, drug use at all levels of society and all groups, any source of distraction or relief to escape a culture of nihilism. Rampant urbanization and industrialization, ever-expanding cities and shrinking forests, a complete removal of man from nature with the obvious results. Pedophile politicians, pedophile priests, and pedophile pop stars demonstrating to all the true depravity of our age. Art and beauty subverted beyond all recognition. Bauhaus travesties replacing nouveau wonders, soulless metropolitan architecture of glass and steel reflecting no society, no culture, no people and therefore belonging everywhere and nowhere. Suicidal, nihilistic, and degenerate pop icons produced from a dead culture, and he names and describes in his own disgusting ways, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Kurt Cobain, Freddie Mercury. You can imagine what he's saying about each of these people. Well, I can can also imagine what a lot of people listening to us right now might be saying. They might be going, why are you even telling us what this evil person thinks? Right. Oh, absolutely essential, because otherwise you buy what the media will tell you about what his motives are. And it's really important as we continue through here to understand that this guy and, is a and, hardcore lefty. And there's a, yeah, and there's another reason is to understand how many other people who think exactly like him live right around us and all around us. I mean, our society is immersed in this kind of thinking. This guy is no, no original thinker. No, no. He's, he's, he's pasted together the stuff that he's seen around him. And he talks about empty nurseries, full casinos, empty churches and full mosques, entropy and blitz speed, unquote. Now, why is he anti-immigration? Well, he says, quote, mass immigration will disenfranchise our nations, destroy communities, ethnic binds, cultures, health, prosperity, unquote. So he, he sees immigration as basically breaking up the uniformity of a group of people. That's it. That's why he's anti-immigration. Yeah. Um, then why is he anti-capitalism, anti-globalism, anti-individualism? Well, he says that capitalists need cheap labor to line their pockets with profits, and as a result, the capitalists have been in favor of immigration, globalism, and individualism. So he's blaming this all on capitalism. The, The immigration is due to, and the globalism is due to, and the individualism is due to people trying to line their pockets with profits, he says. So he's an anti-capitalist, which again puts him firmly where, Bob? Let me think. Uh, left. <laughs> <laughs> not, only, not only do immigrants cause what he regards to be impurities into white European culture, but they reproduce more than whites. The result is A, overpopulation, which damages the environment for a white race, and B, replacement of the white population. Now, in case you think I'm, I'm spinning this, I'm not. He writes, quote, The truth that the West killed the notion of God and proceeded to replace it with nothing brought forth two competing ideologies, communism and fascism, to replace this loss of God, then proceeded to allow both sides to slaughter each other. Notice he says both sides, communism and fascism. Yeah, no, they're the same side. Isn't that interesting? And he's one of them. He he claims to be one of them. (laughs) 
He says, then proceeded to allow both sides to slaughter each other to a standstill and then let corporate-backed capitalists tear the survivor to pieces, resulting in a society with no core beliefs, no purpose, and no vision for the future. A society of rampant nihilism, consumerism, and individualism, where every individual is, is a competitor and the rights of the individual override all notions of responsibility. In this hell, the individual is all and the race is worthless, something to rail against and use whenever possible, a power structure to climb or topple. I mean, he's seething with hatred for individualism, for, for competition, for yeah, and, and, and think for about trade. it, Paul, what are the media doing right now? They're labeling this guy right wing. When he a radical right winger, that's yeah, right. I, I have not heard a person who hates the right more than this guy. Right. Absolutely correct. I mean, this and guy he, is seething with hatred for the right, and everyone's going, oh, he's a right-winger. Well, he continues, he says, Make no mistake, the major impetus for the mass importation of non-Europeans into Europe is the call and want for cheap labor. Nothing drives the invasion more, and nothing needs to be defeated more than the greed that demands cheap labor. In the end, human greed and the need for increasing profit margins of capital owners needs to be fought against and broken. He puts to himself the following question and answer, Bob. He says, uh, why do you blame immigrants and not the capitalists? And his answer is, I blame both and plan to deal with both, unquote. I mean, the guy wants capitalists dead. He's hardly a right winger. Yeah. Now, let's go to this other, well, someone might say, well, maybe not a capitalist, but he's a conservative. He's that kind of person. Well, he, he actually addresses this. He's, you know, he's, he says, is he a Trumper or a conservative? Because he anticipates that the press is going to characterize him as one, right? It's clear. Yep. So anyway, he says, question, uh, are you a conservative? He says, no, conservatism is corporatism in disguise. I want no part of it, unquote. And then he says, quote, are you a supporter of Donald Trump? And his answer is, as a, as a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose, sure. Now, that's where the media have quoted him. And then they don't read the second part, which is yeah. this. As a policymaker and leader... Dear God, no. Unquote. I know. So, the, he, so it's only just... sim symbolically that Trump represents something to him, but the real Trump is he hates. Yeah, and it's just the color of his skin. Right. <laughs> That's it. Then he goes on to address conservatives and he states, quote, Not a thing has been conserved other than corporate profits and the ever-increasing wealth of the 1% that exploit the people for their own benefit. Conservatism is dead. Thank God. Now let us bury it and move on to something of worth, unquote. Bob, this guy is a Democrat, if he's anything. He's a, he's a total, hardcore, left-winger, racist, segregationist. He fits into the Democrat mold so solidly. To, to the core. So you can understand why they want to control the story about him. They want to make sure his own story doesn't get out, that the discussion of his side of his argument is limited because they don't want those things associated because they know damn well that this guy thinks like most of them. Right. No, you'll, you'll remember the likes of Hitler, Bob. And he used to say, say he was against capitalists, but he was also against communists. And that leaves a lot of people scratching their head. Well, right. this guy's doing the same thing. He says, to Antifa and the Marxists and the communists, I do not want to convert you. I do not want to come to an understanding. Egalitarians and those that believe in hierarchy will never come to terms. I don't want you by my side or I don't want to share power. I want you in my sights. I want your neck under my boot. See you in the streets, you anti-white scum, unquote. Well, again, what's he doing? He's focusing on race. He's not talking, he's not complaining about their wealth redistribution schemes. He's saying that communists and Antifa and Marxists aren't racist enough. 
Pretty much, you know? yeah. And then he goes on, he says, uh, he asks himself the question, you know, are you a socialist? And he responds, quote, depending on the definition, worker ownership of the means of production, it depends on who the workers are, their intents, who currently owns the means of production, their intents, and who currently owns the state and its intents, unquote. In other words, if you're white, he's totally in favor of worker ownership of the means of production. If it's someone other than his own team, his yeah. racial team, then he's he's not in favor of uh, of those people having ownership. Right. Now, you know, a lot of people will, will say, oh, it's extreme to call someone like this a Nazi. And even this guy, of course, denies that he's a Nazi. But after all you've heard, you know, his focus is completely on race. He wants a tribalism. He wants a country for one racial tribe. He, he doesn't want too much population because he thinks that'll harm the environment. He wants to control climate change. He thinks it's the same issue as what he's fighting for. Well, here's Hitler. I think it's necessary because if you quote Hitler, you'll you'll understand that this guy could have been writing for Hitler and Hitler could have been writing for this guy. And there's Here's another Hitler. reason why people should hear more about Hitler and hear more about what he wrote and hear more about the history. But, you know, Hitler is a word that is verboten. Right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and again, that's because he's on the left. That's the reason. Exactly. And here's the evidence, Bob. Quote, Assuredly, at a certain time, the whole of humanity will be compelled in consequence of the impossibility of making the fertility of the soil keep pace with the continuous increase in population to halt the increase of the human race and either let nature again decide or by self-help if possible, create the necessary balance, though to be sure, in a more correct way than is done today. But it is equally true that nature, as such, has not reserved this soil for the future possession of any particular nation or race. On the contrary, this soil exists for the people which possesses the force to take it and the industry to cultivate it. Nature knows no political boundaries. First she puts living creatures on this globe and watches the free play of forces. She then confers the master's right on her favorite child, the strongest in courage and industry. When a people limits itself to internal colonization because other races are clinging fast to greater and greater surfaces of this earth, it will be forced to have recourse to self-limitation at the time when other peoples are still continuing the increase. Someday, this situation will arise, and the smaller the living space at the disposal of the people, the sooner it will happen. Since in general, unfortunately, the best nations, or even more correctly, the only truly cultured races, the standard bearers of all human progress, all too frequently resolve in their pacifistic blindness to renounce new acquisitions of soil and content themselves with internal colonization, while the inferior races know how to secure immense living areas in this world for themselves, this would lead to the following result. The culturally superior but less ruthless races would, in consequence of their limited soil, have a limit to their increase at a time when the culturally inferior but more brutal and more natural peoples, in consequence of their living areas, would still be in a position to increase without limit. In other words, someday the world will thus come into possession of the culturally inferior but more active men." Unquote. Bob, that could have been written by the guy who shot those 50 people. He's saying that land needs to be grabbed for a particular race and to the exclusion of others. And I would say that the best label for this guy is nothing other than Nazi. You look very familiar to me. Hogan is a very common type. <laughs> what do you want, Hogan? Carter and I were having an argument. I wanted to prove something to him, and I couldn't find my copy of Mein Kampf. I wonder if I could borrow yours. My copy? 
you do have a copy of Mein Kampf. Oh, oh, yes, of course. I wonder where I put it. I don't seem to remember. It is here, I know. Never mind, I'll do it from memory. Now, the question was, today, Germany, tomorrow, the world, the day after tomorrow, we'll see. What does that mean? It means there is one justice, one love, and Hitler wants it for the whole world, today and tomorrow. I don't agree. That's because you're blind. You've been taken in by the decadent philosophy of the Allies. Don't you see what the Fuhrer's trying to say? Colonel Hogan. Yes? May I have a word with you? Miss my fellows! <laughs> there's a reward for the one who finds Mein Kampf. You seem to have very unusual ideas for an American prisoner of war. Well, I've had a chance to think and see since I've been here, and it's changed my ideas a lot. I uh, realize that the new Germany is the new world. If you feel that way, why not tell the world? <laughs> Gosh, who'd care how I feel? I would. So would a lot of other people. You must share your thoughts with them. How can I do that? On the radio, tonight, with me. Oh, I couldn't. Oh, you must. Is that an order? Yes. All right. Gosh, I feel like a Nazi already. <laughs> You probably can't imagine what it is like to be so lost and frightened that you will listen to any voice which promises change. Even if that voice insists on controlling you. That's what we wanted. Someone to show us a way out of confusion. Lore promised clarity and purpose. In the beginning, he seemed like a savior. The promise of becoming a superior race, of becoming fully artificial, was compelling. We gladly did everything he asked of us. But after a while, it became clear that Lor had no idea how to keep his promise. That's when he began talking about the need for us to make sacrifices. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And Paul, I know we weren't supposed to be reading his manifesto, the New Zealand Killer's Manifesto, which he calls the Great Replacement Towards a New Society. And interestingly enough, his name does not appear on that manifesto, so he's not overly concerned that people get to know his name. Okay. No, that's not, that's not really his focus. I actually took some time and went through the 70-some-odd page manifesto. It's an easy read, large type, and a lot of stupid ideas, okay? <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> yeah, right there. And so just some of the odd things about it that caught my eye, because these to me are consistencies with the left, consistencies with the kind of things we're always warning about on this show. And how he wrote this was he posed questions to himself under the assumption that these are the questions that we would be asking ourselves. One of the first things that caught my eye was, why did you carry out the attack? And his answer is to show the effect of direct action and to create conflict between the two ideologies, which, of course, you already talked about <laughs> were both the same ideology. Right. Communism and, and fascism. Now, a lot of people are saying that he, you know, he did this for fame, right? But here he asks himself, did you carry out the attack for fame? Go figure. He actually put that question in there. Yeah. And his answer is, no, carrying out an attack for fame would be laughable. After all, who can remember the name of the attackers in the September 11th attack in New York? I will be forgotten quickly, which I do not mind, he says. So he's going to get fame anyway. You just do, do a thing like this, 
you're going to get fame whether it's social media or they're not. Sure. And this is interesting. Do you consider it a terrorist attack? And he says, by definition, yes. But I believe it's a partisan action against an occupying force. And this bears a lot of resemblance to Anders Breivik, who has been nicknamed Norway's Unabomber. And Breivik's own father said that his son's actions, he, he just saw his killing as a marketing tool. And he was hoping to force a worldwide discussion on an issue that the major media was unwilling and un, unable to bring itself to address, which is the same issue that we are talking about today. People like this are always being called sociopaths, and they have mental diseases, and they do have certain mental problems. There's no question about that. Right, but they, if you if you say they're insane, that's like saying they can't be held responsible for their evil ideas. Right, they're not insane that way. It's not like they're out of control of their mind. Like, you know, it's not a physical ailment that's causing them to, to act this way. Right. As I've often argued, the hardware can be fine, but if the software going into it, you know, garbage in, garbage out, that's what you're going to get. Right. But any person who's capable of doing what this guy did, and I'm talking about Brevik and the guy in New Zealand, um... They all felt morally justified about it. Yeah. They believed that they were just military people, just like somebody who's acting as if they were following orders. And when someone unilaterally acts with the same conviction and determination that soldiers and governments act with during times of conflict, you can't dismiss their actions as those crazy and demented people. That is not what's going on here. No, a this is a deliberate people, and evil plan. Well, evil to us, but not to them. They think they're on the side of the good. Well, that's because their ethics are completely inverted, right? Exactly. Yeah. But if everyone like who does something like this is considered insane or crazy, well, then evil doesn't exist, and anybody can get away with anything, right? right? It's the ideology that might be termed crazy or insane, <laughs> okay? Absolutely. To the degree to which it doesn't correspond to an observed reality. Right. And so I don't see it as a physical handicap nor a mental handicap, but a consciously arrived at philosophical handicap. Yeah. And, that, and that's what's going on here. Which is just a kind way of saying evil. Well, for us, but not to them. Right. This is the point. Yeah. Your enemy never thinks he's the bad guy, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, you've already gone to, you know, are you a fascist? These are still getting back to his document. And, and here's a great one. Are you right-wing? Depending on the definition, sure. Are you left-wing? Depending on the definition, sure. Are you a socialist? Depending on the definition. You know, and then, of course, are you a supporter of Donald Trump? You already covered that. But as a policymaker and leader, dear God, no. That's the part we don't hear. And I cannot believe that the media can be so complicit in this as to ignore that half of that one short statement. Yeah, because they're trying to demonize any of their enemies that's, with this event. That's unbelievable yeah, to me. Yeah. And then he goes, is there a particular person that radicalized you the most? And he cites Candace Owens, who happens to be a black woman, right? Right. And, and he's also opposed to blacks just as much as he is to Muslims. He's, there's, there's nothing different there in that sense. So what a contradiction that this guy's own actions are illustrating relative to his expressed ideas. Although that goes to the it, issue that you raised earlier, Bob. It's not about him thinking whites are better than uh, anybody else. It's that he wants separation of the, what he thinks are races. And so he can say right. that Candace Owens has a great idea without saying he wants to live with her. Right. Yeah. And then he says, what do you encourage us to do? Okay, he says, act. Ayn Rand used to always say, you'll always find these lefties, they just want to act. They think action is the key to solve everything. When they've got no ideas to base their actions on, right? It's all about a hammer. So they have a, yeah. And any actions taken in this context are all political by default. 
if they're not political, then yeah, they are crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, because they serve no purpose if they were per totally personal. Right. Yeah. And of course, he hates democracy. You know, democracy is the only solution. Why are you committed to force? And he says, do not suffer under the delusion of an effortless, riskless, democratic victory. So why are you using force? He says, because history is the history of power. Violence is power, and violence is the reality of history. Wake up. Well, violence of is course. power, which is why he's now sitting in a jail cell. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's learning from his own lesson that, yeah, force can be used for good and for evil. Right. This, this is a fascinating question. What makes you think you have all the answers? And his answer is, I don't, but I may have some. Take from my views that which works, discard that which does not. Victory is all that matters. Well, what is that? We talk about that all the time. That's pragmatism. Right. Pure pragmatism. And of course, he says diversity is weak. And he asks, why is it that what gives Western nations strength, diversity, is not what gives Eastern nations like China, Japan, Taiwan, South Korea their strength? How are they so strong? Well, the reason is capitalism gives them their strength yeah. to the extent that, that's they, right. that they, you know, that they practice it, right? That's right. And inc incidentally, it's it's worth noting that he has cited in that manifesto that China is his favorite model country because they're, you know, quote unquote racially unquote uniform and of course, they're socialist. Well, yes. In fact, now that you bring that up, I got that from another article headline here. It says, New Zealand Moss Terrorist describes himself as eco-fascist who hates conservatism and admires communist China. The nation with the closest political and social values to my own is the People's Republic of China, he writes. And our media says he's a right-winger. Right. Well, because communism I, I, is apparently right-wing whenever you don't... <laughs> I, no I, I just sit here, uh, my head is swimming, not not from what he did, but if the media wants to create another event like this, they're going about it the right way, let me tell you. And then he writes, emotions rule over facts. Stop trying to persuade the general population with statistics. And he says, you've got to, you know, paint and write and sing and dance and all that stuff. Well, it's all BS. And it's true that emotions rule over facts and facts don't persuade. But what does persuade is reason. Reason combines all of these factors, including facts, emotions, and everything. Well, not only that, it's and what you—it's the facts and what you think about them that determine what emotions you end up feeling. Yeah, what you think. Mm -hmm. And he writes, it's never wise to become a minority group, arguing that if you become a social, political, or ethnic minority, it will always lead to your oppression. Well, that's not true. That's only true in countries where they already do oppression, and, uh, and everybody's oppressed. Just unequal oppression is all they complain about, right? Well, and put another way, you know, you could argue that the United States is a minority in comparison to the rest of the, the, the world in terms of, of being course. capitalistic, etc. And it's doing quite well. And then finally, globalized capitalist markets are the enemy of racial autonomous, he says, which is another way of saying capitalism is the enemy of racism, which explains why he hates capitalism. Right. Dinesh, does Richard have a point here that Trump didn't do anything to quell those individuals whose voices may be representative by the white supremacy movement and others? What do you say to that? Well, this, uh, this kind of white supremacy allegation is part of the modern democratic uh, playbook. I remember in 1980, people dragged out five toothless white supremacists and said to Reagan, uh, you know, you're catering to white supremacy. You can look at these guys, they've endorsed you. And Reagan said, well, you notice that they may have endorsed me, but I haven't endorsed them. And I think this is the key issue, that the Democratic Party historically has been the party of white supremacy. All the institutions of white supremacy, from slavery to segregation, 
system, the Ku Klux Klan, lynching, these were created uh, and sustained by the Democratic Party. Uh, from the WikiLeaks revelations, we see that Democrats even now talk privately about blacks, about Hispanics, even about Catholics, in a way that you never see Republicans talk. There's nothing equivalent on the Republican side. So this is a scapegoat to try to explain an election result that is very embarrassing for the Democratic Party. They had more money, they had the organization, the Republican Party was divided and still Trump won. That, that leaves these guys with a lot of explaining to do. Chelsea Clinton was confronted by uh, an NYU student at a vigil for those killed in New Zealand this weekend uh, over the way that she, Chelsea Clinton, had condemned recent comments from Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Uh, take a listen to this confrontation. After all that you have done and all this on the that you have I'm so sorry. Well, certainly, this never This right here is the result of a massacre stoked by people like you and the words that you have put out into the world. And I want you to know that, and I want you to feel that deep inside. The 49 people died because of the rhetoric that you put out there. I don't know if you could hear that. Um, it's a, a video that's gone pretty viral. But basically, this NYU student is saying that because Chelsea Clinton confronted uh, Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman Omar, in the way she did, uh, that the massacre uh, is partly her fault. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, I'm wondering what your response is. Well, I just know, I know, you know, Congresswoman Omar and myself have gotten so many death threats. I think she is probably um, really, I, I actually pray every day for her safety. I can just tell you the kind of public disagreement and the kind of language that sometimes is being used towards disagreeing with her on a number of fronts, foreign policy issues. People need to be very careful. Uh, she's become very much a target. And right after not only the West Virginia, you know, poster putting her face there with the 9-11 towers in the background, um, this is a woman that is a mother, that is an American, that is serving her country. And we need to be very careful when we disagree publicly, when we disagree publicly on various policy agreements, we have to be very careful in the language that we use. And I can tell you, uh, look, I have seen the letters and have seen the various posts from not only Democrat, from Republicans, but also Democrats, that when we target or, or disagree, we need to be very careful and that it's not feeding into the Islamophobia that is growing in our country. You know, Bob, uh, we've seen over the last few days since the attack happened that uh, partisans are out there trying to associate their enemies with, you know, being the causes of the attack. So we've had people saying that, it's Trump or the, the Trump's fans that are the are the cause of or the inspiration for this attacker, or the, even people like intellectuals like Sam Harris, who's an atheist and therefore against all forms of religion. Or probably the most disgusting of all was an attack that was done on Chelsea Clinton, the daughter of uh, Hillary Clinton. Now you'll recall she's favorite people. Well, she's she's a Democrat, you'll recall, and yet the people who are doing the demonizing are, of course, generally speaking. The Democrats who are trying to pin it on Republicans or who they see to be enemies of their collectivism. There were a couple of recently elected Democrat representatives in the House of Representatives in the U.S. of A. One of them is Rashida Tlaib. And in January of 2019, Senate Republicans introduced legislation that would bolster state efforts to combat the 
Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions, or BDS movement, against Israel. Well, Ms. Tlaib tweeted out in response that the senators, quote, forgot what country they represent, unquote, and that, quote, this is the U.S., where boycotting is a right and part of our historical fight for freedom and equality, unquote. Well, then Marco Rubio pointed out that her comment was essentially a repetition of the anti-Semitic, quote, dual loyalty canard, unquote, frequently leveled against Jews. Now, the other uh, Democratic representative of note is a Muslim woman by the name of Ilhan Omar. And she's been openly spouting anti-Semitic statements a lot, really, since, I guess, middle of February, beginning of February. Mm -hmm. She's coming, she's bold about it. And uh, one of her statements made in February was to the effect that politicians are being bribed, bribed, not, not influenced, but bribed by a political action committee named APAC, which stands for American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. And she's saying they were that they are bribing politicians to take pro-Israel views. And asked about that, she says, quote, it's all about the Benjamins, baby, unquote, which is a reference to American $100 bills. So on February 11th, in response, Chelsea Clinton joined others on Twitter in condemning Omar's anti-Semitic statement. Omar's and Tlaib's multiple anti-Semitic statements were causing the Democrats such embarrassment as a result that they decided to bring a motion to condemn anti-Semitism. But the statement got so watered down to include condemnations of all forms of discrimination, white supremacy, this, that, the other, and of course Islamophobia, that the Republicans in the Congress said, no, this is a whitewash. They're trying to pretend that they are anti-hate when in fact the whole reason that they're doing this motion is that two Democrats were being anti-Semitic. So that 23 Republicans voted against the motion, saying it was essentially an attempt to whitewash the Democrats' problem. And as a result, another Democrat, another hard-lefter, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, tweeted out something like, well, who are the anti-Semites now? Accusing the 23 Republicans, essentially, of anti-Semitism, when in fact, some of them were Jewish, and they were actually opposing the, the motion because they didn't want to pretend that it was a motion brought on by something other than the anti-Semitism of the Democrats. And of course, after that motion passed and the 23 Republicans were misrepresented to be anti-Semitic, the politicians and the media all lined up to oppose what? Islamophobia, as if that was the thing that had given rise to the resolution. So fast forward well, that's to... What, that's, all, that's all I've been hearing in the news since. That's, right. what's, that's what's going on in, on in the mainstream news. We've got to all be aware of Islamophobia, which, which is not an issue here at all. No, it's segregation. So fast forward to this weekend, Clinton's at a college in the USA and a Muslim student association at New York University is videoed blaming the terrorist attack in New Zealand on rhetoric of the type used by Chelsea Clinton, which is a truly astonishing accusation because all she was saying in her her tweet was, you know, people ought to be less anti-Semitic. And the video went viral on Twitter and Chelsea Clinton started trending as as a hashtag. But here's the kicker. On CNN, and this is the clip we just heard, they interviewed the aforementioned Democrat representative, Rashida Tlaib, who basically said that people like Clinton need to be very careful about what they say because it stokes Islamophobia and that leads to attacks like that in New Zealand. So basically to criticize a Muslim over being anti-Semitic or saying anti-Semitic things is wrong. That's what she's saying. And she's saying you're to blame if Muslims get hurt when Muslims say anti-Semitic things and get criticized for it. Utterly, utterly unbelievable. I mean, it stu- also confirms a lot of people's ideas of the identity of Muslims and Islamists because she's saying that saying negative things about Jews and the Jewish state is part of being Muslim. That's, a, that's terrible. 
it is terrible. Although if you read the Quran, there's there are things in there that are pretty disgraceful in the way they treat Jews, calling them monkeys no, and No, understood, pigs. but she's saying it out loud and using it as a defense. It's ridiculous. And it's utterly unfair, but it's also uh, dishonest to the core because they're really trying to whitewash an anti-Semitism that needs to be brought to the fore. It's a real problem in the Democratic Party and needs to be dealt with seriously, not as making it look like just part of a, a racism trend in general. Right. Well, Paul, I wanted to address one of the articles you brought to my attention on Monday, and you pointed out how the author of the article, which is from the Globe and Mail, Canada's Globe and Mail, published March 17th, and here's the headline. Canada is not doing enough to combat right-wing terrorism. Right, which is, implying, so, which is implying that the guy in New Zealand was, you know, effectively a right-winger. Right. And which is false. Just, just looking at the article, I went through it. It's got about eight or nine paragraphs, and... How many times it mentions right-wing terrorists? Series of attacks perpetrated in recent years by right-wing terrorists. Our country has experienced several right-wing terrorist attacks and then lists a whole bunch of them. They're all right-wing, don't you know? Attacks targeting groups of people based on their collective identity fits within the definitions of terrorism. Right-wing extremism. Get this. This is an interesting comment. Right-wing extremism is usually carried out by individuals rather than groups. And that's the only place I ever saw the individualism tied to the word right-wing. So they look at right-wing, if, if somebody's doing it on their own, an extremist on his own, that's a right-wing extremist. And then again, right-wing extremism because of its transnational nature. Right-wing extremist ideologies do not stop at borders. Right-wing extremism and its violent iteration, terrorism, taking the threat of right-wing extremism. I counted right-wing extremism, as I told you, no less than 19 times in an article that only has about eight or nine paragraphs. And, that, right? and that's a response to a left-wing terrorist. Completely. And then again, from Monday's paper in the London Free Press, I got the same thing. And this is the headline. White House pushes back on Trump reference to manifesto emailed to Prime Minister, okay? <laughs> to the Prime Minister of New Zealand, they mean in this case, right? Yeah. And the right-wing terrorist behind a massacre at two mosques in, in Christchurch was acting alone, police New Zealand said Sunday. So right away, he's a right-wing terrorist, right off the top. Oh, and then because they he name acted him, alone, I see. Right. And then they name him here, Brenton Tarrant, sent a rambling racist manifesto to Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister, in which he denied being linked to any organizations and said he was acting on his own. The document, get this, which praised President Donald Trump and Norwegian mass killer Anders Breivik was emailed to Ardern's office just 30 minutes before the attack began. So here's an outright lie. Right. Which praised President <laughs> Donald Trump. Right, the guy says, God, no, he doesn't want, he doesn't think he's, he's with yeah. Trump at all. I know. I, I just... I don't know what to get more angry with. I should have sympathy for these people. I should have I should have a hatred towards this terrorist, and yet the media is reacting just like he predicted. And then I heard Evan Solomon, he's a radio talk show host we hear on CJBK here in the London area on Monday, insisting that we have to talk about this right-wing white supremacist. And all I could think was what a sad, pathetic, pitiful, and helpless set of responses to something that does indeed need to be addressed in the right way, beginning with the law of identity. Right. And, and right now, Paul, the official and mainstream media goes something like this. Here's, here's, here's this pat way you deal with this. Number one, label all terrorists right wing. 
Label number two, label all terrorists white supremacists. Number three, avoid the discussion of any ideas or philosophies that could help resolve the issue. Number four, push for more gun control, no matter how much gun control already exists. And that's an issue we didn't even touch on today, but we will certainly in the future. And number next, wherever I'm at, institute surveillance of all voices on the right, on social media and elsewhere. This is being called for right now. Yeah, censorship, Uh, censorship, censorship. Yeah. Control. Next number, blame President Trump for anything, even if the terrorist explicitly says he hates Trump. And finally, ignore and or support the philosophies that drive all of this terrorism and evil ideology, meaning the left. And that's all I have seen from the responses to everybody. Right. And so let's be clear here. This killer is not a white supremacist. You might, this might be you know, minutia to some people, but not once does he claim any race is superior. He is a segregationist, just like the Democrats, like you said earlier. He thinks nations should be formed around races. And he went out of his way to say he doesn't hate any of these people as long as they stay in their own country. That's right. He, that's all he cares about. Everybody's separate, but not, he doesn't, he's not talking about one's better than the other. And right. Not that that's a defense of the guy. I mean, he's pure evil. And and the idea that makes him left wing. Well, these ideas a, are pure evil. Well, yeah. And, these and, very ideas are pure evil. And they have to be because they're collectivist by their very nature. Anytime you right. say, I'm not going to look at an individual, I'm going to look at what race he's part of and judge him accordingly, that's collectivism. And that's left. And when it comes to the final issue of racism itself, you know, and this has to be said, I see no difference in anyone's obsession over race between the two supposed opposing camps. To believe in a single race like this guy does is no less racist than insisting in a racially defined society of diversity. How is that not racist? Yeah, they, they have to take race out of the mix and consider every individual as an individual, not as a this color of individual or that color of individual or that. Uh, it's irrelevant. One person, yeah. one vote. And, and all to be treated equally under the law. That's the key. So what we've got here is two, two groups of racists fighting each other, and no one's calling the shots on this. No one's calling it for what it is. No one's identifying it. And everybody just sticks with that racist narrative. So any last thoughts on this, Paul? Well, to hell with all of them, Bob. <laughs> I agree. And as we said last week, before this attack took place, this is war, one that could only be fought and won based on ideas. The ideas that are just right. So join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Now we have a real surprise for you. An American prisoner of war who has some interesting things to tell you. You are Colonel Hogan of the United States Army Air Corps? That's one of my names. One of your names? Well, I had another name when I was in prison. Naturally, (laughs) you don't give your right name in a case like that. You were in prison? Three times. Bomb raps. Colonel, you've had an opportunity to observe the new Germany and the United States. Now, how would you compare them? Oh, no comparison at all. Back home, everybody thinks for themselves all those decisions to make. Here, one man thinks for everyone. Saves a lot of work. I'm, uh... I mean, take the Russian front. That was Hitler's idea. Yet, I think it's so wonderful you don't hear one word of criticism about it. 
read Mein Kampf, I believe. Oh, yeah, you bet. Uh, you know that guy Hitler that wrote it? A lot of people think just because he wears that silly mustache, the book's a lot of junk. <laughs> Another favorite selection of the Führer.